Agents Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Power ISA, the industry experts in real estate ISAs. Get more appointments. Make sure your follow-up gets done on time and you get the most out of your leads. Get a great ISA for real estate on your team and watch the results roll in. Power ISA has served over 1,200 agents in the U.S. and Canada since 2015, and it's the one-stop shop for everything you need to get a great inside sales agent on your team. Whether it's setting appointments with your internet leads or making outbound prospecting calls to help you get more listings, Power ISA can get it done for you. Visit PowerISA.com forward slash LCA to get started. That's PowerISA.com forward slash LCA. You know, not enough real estate agents invest in the product that ultimately they're selling. Now, one could argue you are the product, not necessarily the house. But the reality is many of you, especially coming out of a, a year that has arguably been difficult, going into a year that might be even more difficult, all of you need to have a lens on that says, what are other ways that I can create wealth, maybe long-term wealth, and make an investment in my future with an asset that essentially you have the inside track on? And that is exactly uh, what our guest today specializes in. She also just happens to run two teams in two different states and has been in the business over 20 years and has a ton of knowledge and tons of experience to share from and I'm excited to uh, to interview her. Welcome to the show, Lauren Rosen. Uh, you're based out of Arizona. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me today, Jeff. Absolutely. So let's start here. I want to know who the hell you are. Uh, more than what I just told you, more than what I can read on the interwebs. Tell us kind of what led you to where you are today and kind of uh, you know how you got into the business. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And I was about to turn 20 and I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> and so I went to uh, Arizona and I finished my degree at ASU. I was waiting tables and doing whatever I could to make some money. And my neighbor, after I graduated, told me, come call mortgage leads. And I asked him, what's a mortgage? Because <laughs> I grew up in an apartment in Brooklyn and we didn't have those. Um, so I got into the mortgage industry, quickly understood it, quickly understood how to save people's money and financing. And then I got this crazy tax bill because I made all this money. And then I realized I better learn tax strategies, um, which just led me to constantly educating myself. So I learned tax strategies and legal strategies because it's great if you make the money, but if you don't know how to keep it from the IRS legally, it's not really, you know, it's not as well. So I got into mortgages, did that for a while, about a year into it, I realized realtors made more money and I wanted my real estate license, got my license and I dabbled in real estate. I did lending for about seven years. Um, the market crashed in 09, and I just saw a huge opportunity to jump into the trustee sales, the foreclosures here in Arizona. So I bought really heavy downtown for about five and a half years and was flipping heavy, and we were doing short sales and REOs and just anything, you know? And it was really fun. I mean, we were borrowing hard money at 18%, still making money. You know, people are complaining about these 6% rates. We were borrowing at 18 And so I just really got a taste for it. And then I just learned that, like, you have to hold real estate. I always say for every two flips, you know, buy one rental property. So um, if I listened to myself, I wouldn't be sitting here because I'd be retired. <laughs> but so I'm just a big believer in like building your wealth through real estate. And as a realtor, you have more options than most to find good deals. Yeah, it's, I think it's one of the most overlooked aspects of our industry. 
uh, by and large. Now, granted, I think a lot of agents get into the business for all of the wrong reasons. And I think, what did you say when we, as we were off air, something about uh, having more time or something like that? Become a realtor, you'll have more time. What, what did you say? <laughs> so I do run a large team now in Scottsdale, Arizona and San Diego. And basically, I've been interviewing all week with realtors. And I said, hey, did you get in real estate to have more time, more free schedule? Well, then you're in the wrong business because we work seven days a week. <laughs> I oh. leverage people and I still work seven days a week. So just a reality check that this is a business that you have to work. You know, the problem with the market the last decade is that it was very strong. So we created very weak realtors. And so now we're having to retrain those realtors how to sell real estate. So I'm very yeah. big into like developing realtors and like getting them to be successful and proud and be part of the team. And that's awesome. Well, you know, and on that vein, you know, so of the interviews that you had, how many of them, uh, you know, kind of ran away from that interview and how, how many of them actually stuck and you actually wanted to hire? You know, I set really strict guidelines for them. I tell them the first three weeks you're on my team, you are in the office at eight o'clock every single day for three weeks eight to one. And you can't, you can miss one day, but if you can't miss two, like, I'm just going to kick you off my team because tell me a business where that you can potentially make six figures that you can miss two days of work your first three weeks. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really just trying to teach realtors, like, this is a business. This is not a side job. It's not a side career. It's not one deal, you know? And so really just training them, but then teaching them how to buy real estate and own real estate and then buy rental properties. Because the thing is, if they're doing it and they're out in the market working with clients and they're talking about, hey, I just did this flip or I own this rental or I have an Airbnb, they're giving themselves more credibility, which is going to make them more successful as a realtor. Yeah, it's a really good point. But going back to what you said, I have, obviously I want to get down that path here at some point, but I want to go back to two different pieces of, of what you said, which is, which is one, there, there's probably some listeners who are struggling right now. And it's probably a case of, they need to take a good, hard, hard look in the mirror because what are they doing? Or probably better yet, what are they not doing to succeed? Which goes back to what you said, which is how many agents got into this business over the last two or three years because a that maybe they were working from home now. They had more time on their hands because they didn't have a manager over their, you know, over their shoulder, and they could just go get their real estate license. And so, what would you say to that agent who might be listening, who is in that vein and is trying to decide if they should stick this out? I think you need to evaluate what you're really doing every day. I don't think people have a clue. So what I would do is for the one week, I would write down everything you did. And then I would go over that list and I would eliminate stuff that's not going to make you money. Like what is your highest income producing activity, which is going to be on the phones, right? Prospecting, following up, calling your SOI, checking on them. So what I would tell them to do is write down everything that they're doing and then evaluate it and then come back and really make a calendar. If you want to be successful, you need to be on the phones from 8 to 9.30 every morning and at least two nights a week from 4 to 6 or 7. Because at nighttime is when you're going to catch the people that you didn't catch during the day. I mean, how many times does a hot lead come in and they call it twice? They're supposed to contact at minimum, what, 8 to 12 times in the first 24 hours and don't feel like you're annoying them because they don't even realize it's you calling. <laughs> yeah. You know, just teaching them to be aggressive is the biggest thing. I mean, you know, January is around the corner. So we'll see how many realtors are renewing their license. Yeah. You know, we keep hearing a lot of them are going to leave this industry. I think the best thing to do is like every realtor is so hung up on this, like, oh, I'm a solo agent. I want a hundred percent. But like, if you can plug into a mega team, like a real team that has real systems and real leads, you're going to be able to quadruple your business a lot faster than just doing it on your own. Yeah. 
so so going back to what you suggested though so being on the phones which is this isn't like anything new that they that they probably haven't potentially heard but it's like you said probably one of the most valuable things that they could be doing but if somebody is relatively new to the business and they're not buying leads because they just don't have the budget and not, frankly buying leads anymore is getting more challenging and and so who are they calling every single day? Because not everybody's SOI is a different size. You have only have so many friends and family. So what are you telling that person who's only closed a handful of transactions in their career, who to call? There's a couple of things. So first you can join a team that does have the leads, the Zillow partners, the Homelight partners, all that. That's an easy way to plug in and just go. Another option is to really have a focus. You know, Realtors come in and they're so all over the place. They're calling everybody. So what if you just had a plan? Let's just say your plan was, I'm only going to sell real estate to teachers. So now you're going to go find a lender who specializes with a teacher loan, maybe find them a grant, but every single day you're going to wake up and go, how do I sell to teachers? How do I sell to teachers? Where if you don't have a, like a target and you wake up every day and you can call everybody, you're not going to call anybody. So I would pick something that like, if you're a veteran, find a military program that works that you can go out and sell, you know, to firemen and police officers and vets and like go after them. But like, I think it's really important to have a focus. Um, if I had a low budget, I would not do the thing about farming. Farming is a long play. Farming's months and months, years, you never know. But if I was a new agent, I would find a listing, maybe just one in my brokerage that wasn't mine. And I would own that listing. I would be there every day as an open house. I'd call it my mobile office. I would door knock the whole neighborhood. I would do a food drive. Hey, bring over cans. I'm doing a food drive for this local food bank. And like really be known in that area instead of like, if you do one open house in Chandler and then one in Gilbert and now you're over here in Phoenix, it's like no one, you're not making a mark. So the cheapest thing to do, I think, is really just kind of maybe find someone else's listing and just say, hey, can I promote your listing? Can I do the open houses? And I'm sure there's realtors out there that would let you. I love that. And and so the what the way I articulate or or uh, interpret what you said is I think so many real estate agents, just sales professionals in general, want to cast wide nets. And I don't, I mean, obviously you and I know this. Anybody who's been through any sort of training knows this, like niching down is becoming, in fact, that's probably going to become one of the most cliche words of 23 or 24, the whole niche concept, because it's, you know, where the world is going. But Let's speak to that. You know, so casting that wide net. You're in Phoenix. You know, I'm in St. Louis. A real estate agent wants to. This is what an agent says. I don't want to be pigeonholed to a certain area because then, if I'm specific to Webster Groves, then nobody's going to want to use me in Kirkwood or St. Charles or, in your case, obviously Gilbert or these different areas. How do you respond to that when an agent comes at you, which I'm sure they have before, and says, "I, I need to be broader than that." Here's the thing. I've always specialized in investors. But that doesn't mean I don't sell to regular people. It just means every single day I have a focus. So if you wake up with a focus every day, then you're going to know where to go. Because you just sell in one city doesn't. And the thing is too, like even, okay, so you start in one city, it's small, but now you're getting reviews, your Zillow pro profile, your realtor.com profile. Like, please make sure you update those, whether you use those leads or not. Consumers do research us online. So your online image is everything. So it's like, maybe you started in one little city, but you sold 10 homes and now you have 10 reviews. So now when this other city goes to interview you, they're not going to be like, oh, he only does that area. They're going to say, oh, they did 10 people. We're really happy with them. So I just think you have to start small and focus, and then you can start widening your net. 
I like it. It's almost it's almost a mental thing. It's almost like a mental block. If if you're too broad, like you said, when you wake up in the morning, if if you th- think you're going to call everyone, you'll call no one. I like how you said that because I do believe that there's probably some truth to that. And so I think that's a great piece of advice, and which which shifts me over to the other side of the coin. So that question was more directed at someone who might be newer to the business or just is struggling. Now, same vein, but let's say I'm a team lead. I'm a broker. I'm somebody who's attracting and recruiting like you are. And so you mentioned one of the comments that you made to to your interviewees. What is that person predominantly looking for? Because I can say this, I'm neutral. I'm agnostic. I have obviously no skin in the game. I would say more brokers than not, more leaders than not, are really just looking for someone with a pulse and an interest to join real estate. And they're not actually vetting them all that well. So what would be your advice that you would give to a leader or a broker, anybody who's growing a team going into 2023, which by the way, we're recording this in 2022, but it'll come out in the beginning of 23, just, just so people understand where we're at here on time frame wise. Stop hiring out of desperation, ask better questions, like have them script and then let them talk. You know, if you're in a meeting with a salesperson that can't carry the conversation, that's not a salesperson. You know, if you're like the one pulling out questions and answers. And so like, I think with me, like in the beginning of my team, I would hire anybody because I was desperate. But what that happened was they tortured me, <laughs> tortured me. Like if I interview someone and I said, hey, do you want to join, grow a team? And they said, yeah, I'm going to grow a team in one year. Don't bring that person into your organization because they're going to use all your resources and then run you over and probably still have your leads. So like, it's just hiring the right people. And like setting the expectations up front, our training now, we stopped onboarding. Um, we only onboard once a month. So now we have a class. It'll be like four or five agents. And now there's like a group of them. So they have each other to help each other. My sales manager is training them as a group. So you're not doing five training sessions. You're doing one training session with five of them. Three of them probably won't make it. They say that 30% of the people you hire, you'll probably keep, which so it's low. It hurts my heart, but it's true. So I think just asking better questions, letting them speak, and then don't hire in the first interview. I think that's the biggest mistake. So our process is you come in, you meet me and my sales manager. This next interview, it's not even interview, is coming to a team training or a team meeting and seeing how they are within your ecosystem. Because they come in and they're not talking to anybody and they're a little standoffish. Like that's not a realtor. A realtor is friendly and bubbly and you know people want to shop with their friends. And so that's what you need to be is this person. And so really singing them in that environment. And then once they do that and they want more, then um, we have our ops manager interview them. We go over core values. But I got to tell you, there's no point in these three interviews that we've talked about commissions. Would you like support? Would you like system? Would you like leads? Would you like to make six figures? Then don't worry about the split because you're going to make that if you plug in. I also tell them, listen, if you kill it and you're amazing, I'm not going to take credit for it. But if you fail, I'm not taking credit for that either because I'm giving you the tools and the resources to be successful. And it's up to you whether you're going to make it or not. So it's just like, I think it's like really setting everything up front in that first meeting. Like this is what's expected from you. And Are there any uh, series of questions that you feel like are just uh, must ask questions that every, anybody who's doing the interviewing should ask? Yes, you want to ask them what their extracurriculum were in high school and college. You want to know who they were. If they played sports in college, like you're hired. I don't care. I'll train you. You're coachable. 
So I just really think kind of figuring out who they are. That's what if really- they're what if they're 65 years old? Are you still asking that college question? Yeah, I want to know what you're up to. They might or I, or I, you could say, what do you do? What did you do in your past? What do you do now? Like activity wise, if they're like, oh, I do nothing. I sit at home and I watch CNN every day. Like, you know, that's probably not gonna be a great realtor. <laughs> but if they're like, oh, I play pickleball. Like, yes, I you know, like you just see that they're like group activities. What do they enjoy in life? The other question I always ask is why real estate? What drew you to real estate? And it amazes me how many times I get, well, I like houses. <laughs> I like design. Oh okay. my God. Like negotiating follow-up sales. Business. <laughs> That's so hilarious. Those are good questions that I really like to ask. So when somebody responds with that uh, answer, is it like uh, the interview is over at that point? No, you just, usually they're pretty nervous. That's usually one of my first questions. You're trying to get them to loosen up a little. No, you just kind of a lot. What do you like about houses? Yeah. Have you anybody had anybody say, you know, I like the idea of having flexibility and working when I want and making as much money as I want, which obviously the two don't go hand in hand. It's laughable, but people say it. Do they say that to you? We just nip it. Yeah. I tell them I'm not running a team. I'm not really running a real estate team. I'm running a real estate business. And like, if I, like if they, because you have W2 realtors on your staff, you know, those are my admin. They make me more money. They show up at eight every day. They're always professional. They know their job. Like if I could control realtors, like if I could really get realtors to work the schedule they needed, they would do triple what they want. One thing I've learned from my sales manager is stop setting their goals. So every team lead, you say, how many deals does an agent have to do to be on your team? And every agent in the world will tell you two. (laughs) But people have plenty of agents on their teams that don't do two. I need you to do four a year to be profitable on my team. Really low standards, but you know, I can't believe I can't believe there's just a standard of two, one every six months. It's like that's not even working. That's just waking up. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, but they all say like, oh, I want this realtor to do two deals a month, and it's like most of them aren't going to do that. And if they're doing one deal a month, celebrate it. That's what they want. And not everybody is going to want to be a killer, always. You know, like so if they want to do fifty deals that year, that's great. I'm going to support you and give you the opportunities. But if you want to do twelve deals this year, like I'm also going to support you and give you opportunities. Yeah, I, I would say from a leadership perspective, because I've been in that role as well. And I, and I love that advice that your manager gave you. And I learned that just maybe the hard way or just going through it. Like very few are going to want it as bad as you want it. You know, if you if you earned your leadership position based on your success, you you can speak to this too, I'm sure, Lauren, is that you're going to get frustrated by the lack of drive and discipline and desire that most humans have. They just don't want it as bad as you do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I, you know, you, I think every leader goes through this at some point in their career where they're just pulling their hair out and they're so frustrated and so angry. Like, why does this person not want it as bad as me? You know, I, I go through this every day. It's like, why aren't they just reading the emails? I mean, come on. But it's, it's just like a, a part of life now. And you just, you embrace, I, I, my line is, embrace mediocrity because it's what makes the great ones great. And um, if you're in that realm, embrace it because it, what's, it's what makes you great. If everybody was like you, there'd be a hell of a lot more competition. Yeah, you would harder. Be yeah. <laughs> There's not any more yeah. days, hours in the day. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I, I mean, I think that's, I think that's, that's really good for both sides of the coin here to hear it, uh, you know, from the horse's mouth, so to speak, somebody who's in the trenches and living it. And like you said, you did it last week. So you're, you're having these conversations and you're in these interviews. Um, that's great. But let's, let's segue over to the topic at hand, which is, uh, you know, the idea of investing in real estate. And I think so, a lot of people listen to this and they think, well, that's just silly. I mean, duh. 
I don't know if there's a statistic out there, and there probably is, as to how many licensed real estate professionals actually own a real estate. <laughs> that would be even funnier. How many of them are actually renters? But then how many of them invest in real estate? Take us down that rabbit hole. I mean, I saw a stat recently that like 40 or 50% of licensed realtors do not own their home. That's so crazy. That blows my mind. So like my first step is- always- where, where did you hear that at? I don't know. I need to look it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was like, really, like it took me like it was a stat that I was like, wow, that's a huge stat. It might have been on Inman, but don't quote me. It's almost hypo- it's almost hypocritical to be a real estate agent and not own a home. I feel like you have to go through the process because it's so emotional, right? This is the biggest financial decision most people are ever going to make in their lives. And so it's so emotional. So if you're an agent and you're not understanding the emotions and the stress, it's hard to manage it. So like with me, I joke, there's Lauren and then there's seller Lauren. Seller Lauren's crazy. <laughs> well, seller Lauren's like, screw them, cancel that contract on everything. And then my TC waits two hours and then we keep it in contract. But like, I'm literally two different people. <laughs> and I'm not bipolar. <laughs> I'm pretty together woman. But like, you know, it's just so that's like the one thing is like, and then I think with real estate, so the first step, so how I built my career, because I did. Build my, I, my team's only about six and a half years old and I've been doing this 20. So how I built my career was I figured out how to make money in real estate. So I was like, why don't I tell investors how to do it? And basically it's rental properties, you know, like flipping's fun. It's glorious, whatever. But at the end of the day, if I held more than I flipped, I'd be done. The trick is like my trick was I took, um, and I took regular ordinary like people, because I think when you say real estate investor, it's intimidating, but I've taken school teachers. And like, we bought, we got them a grant for their first home because there's grants out there. We got them a grant. We had them buy a house. And then I sat down with them. I said, how much money can you save a month? And she said, I can save $600 a month. I said, okay. So for the next three years, you're going to live in your house and you're going to save $600 a month. And in three years, we're going to buy you another house and we're going to make your current house a rental property. She's like, I can do that. I was like, yep, let's do it. So we did it. We stayed right on plan. The three years bought her another property. I said, now you're going to keep saving. And then another three years, she bought another one. So in seven years, a teacher owned three rental properties or three properties, two rentals, mm-hmm. one for primary. And so all of a sudden she's like, I got to tell my friends. <laughs> and so I built my whole entire like business off of teaching people to buy rental properties, how to manage them. I'm always telling them to go read the Landlord Tenant Act. They're always public online for your city. Those change and know the rules. Obviously, once you get to a, like too many rentals, you will bring in a property manager. But I just think that's really important. Um, and then being super proactive on your rentals, like go in and change all the angle stops. Don't wait for the water heater to explode. Just change it. Stuff like that. I give them like these books on like how to fix houses and maintenance. And but that's how I built it. You know, I got a bunch of engineers out of Northern Cali and I know they get huge bonuses every December. So in December, I sell like 15 houses to those 15 guys like every year. So now they have like, this is going 12 years. They have 12 rentals each. So what do they talk about at their office? Yeah. And then I get more referrals. That, that's and a great I own real estate and I'm doing it. So I'm not just preaching it. Yeah. What's it, I mean, it's a great niche. So I want to go back down. I want to back up to that strategy, which is so, so you had the teacher, like, was that intentional? Was, was attacking teachers intentional or was it just, you happened to be a customer, you got into conversation and it just led down that path. Oh, at that time, it was intentional because there was a grant for teachers. Got it. So I found a lender that specialized in this grant and I found this grant and I was like, this is amazing. 
And so we went and then we actually were able to find a second grant within the city. So sometimes we get them two grants on a house. So they're buying a house with no money down. Wow. You know, and so people are complaining about interest rates right now. Rent is a hundred percent interest rate. Yeah. And no, it's not a tax write off either. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, well, and that's, and you you brought that up. It's actually, it's a good, it's a good segue into that, which is that is probably a big objection nowadays. A lot of, a lot of just anybody, any kind of investor, whether you're a real estate agent or not, are saying, well, why would I buy now when rates are 7% or when they are 7%? I'm going to wait for them to go back down. What's, what's your rebuttal to that? Because we all know that's just a terrible mindset, but I want to hear how you, how you react to that. Historically, we're still extremely low interest rates. Um, and I think right now buyers have more buying power than ever. And you're starting to see crazy seller concessions. We had a deal yesterday closed for $700,000 and had $28,000 in seller concessions. So with the $28,000 seller concessions, the buyer bought their interest rate down. So I just think buyers have more power than ever. The last year, like giving away your firstborn to get a house, it was a mess. And I will take a higher interest rate and a lower loan balance every day. Yeah. Because I'm going to pay that off quicker. I think what happened was, you know, everybody was overpaying for houses to get these two and a half, three percent rates. But the problem is they're going to be stuck in those houses for a while. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting mindset, obviously coming from our world. And I've been in the business as long as you, 22 years. So I've been through the cycles. Like we've, we've seen it. And frankly, you and I both know that that uh, the two and three percent that we've gotten used to is not the norm and will never be the norm. In fact, I'm not sure that we'll ever get back there again in our lifetime. And so it's it's you got to wrap your head around what is normal and stop looking at that and just saying, if the opportunity is right, then buy. Because like you said, you're buying them at 18 percent with hard money. And that's not uncommon. A lot of investors, I've got some really good investor friends and they're hard money all day long just because it's easier and and they make it work all day long. And so in that vein, you know, so when somebody is saying, look, look, it's uh, it just doesn't make sense with rates as high as they are. Do you ever have that conversation with these people saying, what if rates never go lower and actually end up going higher? What, then what are you going to say? It just never was the right time to buy because you know, there's other people out there investing and buying in real estate. Yeah. I think you just got to remind them like that was, I don't think rates will ever be two, 3% again. That was a, that was a huge mistake by the government. It was totally political, like keeping them that low for an extra year. Yeah. We're not going to see that again. So we need to make it work. And like, we talk about discount points and buying it down and the seller giving some closing. I mean, you're getting amazing deals right now. I mean, deals you weren't getting six months ago. So like now it's just being aggressive and like being strategic about how you're like doing the loan, what the payoffs, you know, stuff like that, your discount point. I love it. I love it. So, so as it relates to investing, you mentioned, you know, obviously had you held more versus flipping, you'd be retired. Uh, So, so what's your, what's your advice on, on the two options, buying and holding versus flipping? Because yeah, I'll just tell you as somebody who's invested plenty and I did a ton of investment before the crash. And so I got my ass kicked when it crashed. I could make the argument from experience that holding sent me to bankruptcy uh, because I just got hammered because I was buying at a time, as you probably remember, 03, 04, 05, we hadn't experienced a crash before, especially you know, at my age, in, in my age range. And so to me, it was like properties just appreciated. That's just what they do. And then all of a sudden we got kicked in the teeth and realized, oh crap. Now, what the hell do I do? So what is your mindset behind the buy and hold versus the flip? So cash flow is very important. So what happened in 2005, six, seven was we were all betting on the appreciation of the property and they were negative cash flow. 
So our mortgages were twenty five hundred. Our tenant was paying two thousand. We're like, oh, I'm only losing five hundred dollars a month, but my house went up a hundred grand. But once the market shifted and we weren't cash, the properties weren't appreciating anymore. They were depreciating, and you're negative cash flowing. You saw a ton of people just throw in the towel. I don't want to yeah. keep this property. Yeah. And so that's what happened. So I'm very big on cash flow. Like you have to have to have to have cash flow. You need to keep like understand that there might be a vacancy. You need to understand that like people like you just need to have a you can't if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you own a rental property, it's it's scary because what if something goes wrong? What if your AC goes out and it's five thousand dollars? So I think the thing is like just making sure that you're cash flowing. That's like the most important thing. Is there cash flowing on those properties? Say you were making five hundred dollars a month on each of them, and they were depreciating. You wouldn't have let them go. Yeah. Well, what's what's your formula? Is there a certain formula that that you go by in terms of when you're evaluating properties? I really don't want to do like if you're doing a rental property. I really like to make at least four hundred a month. Just I mean that's forty eight hundred a year. If something goes out, it's like enough to cover it. I'm really big on making one extra mortgage payment a year. Um, it takes the principal down pretty drastically. I heard almost seven years off a 30-year mortgage. True. So I'm really big on just paying down debt. I'm really big on not over-leveraging. That's why I tell people save money for three years, four years. That's going to be your down payment. Now buy, you know, versus, oh, borrow from your credit card and that'll be your down payment. And then you're just, you know, a lot of times people borrow from their like second mortgages or something and they're not using that payment in their like calculations. So that's scary. Just making sure that you're okay. Um, Short-term rentals. I don't know. They're a lot of work. I mean, Air, the, Air, the Airbnbs, VRBOs, that sort of thing. They're, they're a full-time job. And if you do hire a property manager, you're looking at like 20 to 30%, mm-hmm. which is really high, but that's what it's going for. And by the time you pay that, you probably could just have a long-term rental and cash flow at about the same. So I do like Airbnbs if it's like in a city that you go to once or twice a year, and maybe like that's your vacation spot and that's how you pay for it. I own a few. I'm not going to say they're terrible. I'm just saying they're a lot of work and they are a business. And if you're not cash heavy, they're not good because even to furnish and do a house pretty cheap, if you spend 30 grand, that's not that much money. Like, so now you're talking 30 grand out of your pocket, remodeling the house, getting it up to Airbnb standards and your down payment. So now you're out of pocket a lot more than if you just bought it as a long-term rental, but 20% down, hired a property manager. It's just an easier thing. And then obviously with all the laws changing about Airbnbs, right? Like you just never know. Yeah. Where it's going to be allowed, not allowed, basically. Mm-hmm. What, what about Super Bowls here this year? So everyone's all excited about the Airbnbs, but it's like me for one week. <laughs> yeah. That that week's going to be crazy too. Cause I've got a friend actually, I'm coming down there to do a, do, do a, an event for him. And uh, he was telling, I, I'm more interested in waste, the waste management uh, golf tournament than I am the Super Bowl, but uh, I'll be there. What a crazy week that's going to be in Phoenix, man. It's my that's favorite be week because it's like I see every lender, every title, every realtor I need to see. It's great networking. I go like every day. I love it. That's really cool. Well, uh, that's a that's an off. We're, we'll talk off camera on that one. <laughs> that's, the, that's golf, everybody. I don't know. If it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. PGA Tour. Phoenix Scottsdale is known to be the party for the PGA Tour. Yeah. So very, un- very unique golf tournament. Yes, to say the least. Yes. If, if you know, you know. Let's just put it that way. So what about what about flipping? You're 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 obviously you're you're sour on flipping or or you're you're less excited about it. Why? I, I'm not, oh, I love flipping. I flip all the time. It's a dangerous game. So if you're not cash heavy, if you're borrowing at 18% in the house and you're thinking the house is gonna sell in three months, but it really took nine months, you can go upside down. So I think a lot of times what flippers do is they don't you gotta think what's the worst case scenario. 
and then plan. If your plan is like, oh, I'm going to flip this in 60 days, but if it goes 10 months and you're losing, now all your money's been tied up for a year. You could you know, so I just think it needs people need to get into it realistically, like time. I think everybody thinks it's quick. It's just a long, you know, it takes time. And now homes are sitting on the market 60 days, 90 days. So that's three months of holding costs. So I think just putting it in your spreadsheet and like really knowing the cost. Is and there buy, right? Don't buy because you're desperate because you want to deal. Buy because it like it goes in your spreadsheet and it makes sense. Yeah. FOMO. Don't buy because of FOMO. I feel like a lot of people, I, I was guilty of that. I bought because I thought I didn't want to miss the opportunity. And um, boy, did that bite me in the ass. Oh, we all did it. But realtors, you have, you are like the front, you're the people finding the deals and you don't even realize it. How many realtors walk into a listing appointment that smells like cat pee, half of it's, the, you know, the house is a disaster and they go, I can't list this. Hello, wholesale deal. Like you need to have multiple streams of income as a realtor. I have retail, I have wholesale. I walk into a listing, I immediately identify, is this wholesale or is this retail? And the best part is what's best for the client? Like, I don't care if they list it or if they want a cash offer, but I'm going to give them both options. And so I just think realtors miss so many wholesale deals because they're scared of it. And so I'm big on like making cash offers on people's houses. And there's reasons people need cash. Yeah. Why would someone be scared of, of wholesale? I think they just don't know what it is. So like they don't understand or I don't know how to sell it or. I just don't think, I think it's laziness, just not learning it. I mean, mm -hmm. it's been huge in Phoenix for the last decade and even longer. So it just, I think there's so much. So I'm trying to teach realtors, if you find a crappy property, call me and I will make a nice cash offer and then we'll split the assignment, you know, I'll take care of them, whatever. So I've been trying to teach realtors that, but it's like, it has to be like 30% below market. Sure. Which, I mean, I imagine that's probably going to, it's 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 going to start happening again. I, I think as as the next year continues and uh, recessionary times happen, I mean you got to think about what's happening to to people with uh, with day jobs that are getting laid off. You know the people that have to go to work every day from nine to five, and uh, I think you're going to see a lot of opportunity that we didn't. You know that a year ago we would have said uh, we don't see that happening again, and now here we are. I see how fast that happens. Oh yeah, there's definitely always going to be deals because there's people that need to sell. Yeah. People with too many cats. Yeah. You're picking on cats today for some reason. And I like cats. <laughs> no, we just had a cat house we've been dealing with. So it's like uh, in my nose. Oh, God. <laughs> that, you can't get rid of that. Trick. Run the ozone machines oh. 24 hours prior. The demo, run the ozone for 24 hours, and then do the remodel. So many people do the remodel, and it still smells really like, good. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's that's horrible. That's that's good advice, actually. So say that one more time. So if you come across a property that has smell. animal animal smells, fecal smoke. matter, all that kind of stuff, smoke. urine. So smoke. do the demo, demo it, then get an ozone machine. There's usually a company. They'll come in and run it for 24 to 48 hours. They'll clean out all the vents for the AC and the ductwork, and then do the remodel. You won't have any smell. Really? And so, but the key is demo first. Don't ozone first, demo first, then ozone, then go into to rehab. I like it. I mean, this is all, this is all, uh, this is, this is from, like I said, the horse's mouth, the front of the line, somebody living it every single day. And that's really what I'm focusing on nowadays with the podcast is, is, you know, we get a lot of coaches and people selling things. And so I'm really focused on, on interviewing people that are, are on those front lines that are living it every day, that are succeeding and they're doing some awesome things. And clearly you are Lauren. So I appreciate that. What kind of parting thoughts would you have for, for our uh, audience? I do a Monday Zoom mastermind for realtors. 
Um, there's usually about seven, 800 people on there. It's like today issues. It's not some coach teaching you something that worked six months ago because the market's obviously changing very fast right now. So if you ever want to be a part of that, just DM me. It's Lauren Rosen on most social media sites. I'll be happy to send you a Zoom invite for that. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is like, I just want to educate agents. I want to get them out there. I want to get them buying rental properties and talking about it and doing flips and just like, like living and breathing real estate. And then you're going to attract more business. I love it, Lauren. And, and if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way to connect with you or find you online? Um, my email is Lauren at Lauren Rosen, R-O-S-I-N.com. So Lauren at Lauren Rosen.com. I'm on all the social media platforms, Lauren Rosen. You'll find me the girl with big curly hair. <laughs> what's your, what's your favorite social platform? Oh, I love Instagram. I love Facebook. We like LinkedIn dabbling with TikTok. Good. It's amazing Good. how, uh, the reach that the reels have. Yeah, uh, even more so on TikTok, actually. But yes, it Reels is basically just a copycat of TikTok. So if you if you know how to do one, you'll know how to do the other. And, and you might as well embrace it and just spread your content. Just be an expert. Like you are hired. Like, okay, so I'm a real estate expert. So I don't have clients cheat on me because they're always going to come consult me. So if you understand tax strategies, if you understand legal strategies, how to set up an LLC, how to set up a trust, you can talk the game. You're not going to have to chase your clients. They're going to come to you. And so what I'm trying to pour into people is just be smarter, be the smartest person there is. Tax laws change every year. Know what they are. Know what the advantages are. Know how to structure deals. Like, And then you're just going to be known in your market as an expert. Awesome. Awesome advice. Lauren, thank you so much again for joining us today. If you want to connect, you've got her email. You can go find her on social. She's smart. She's probably the same name across every platform, which is exactly what everybody should be doing. Lauren, thank you so much. I'll be in touch when I'm in Phoenix. Maybe we can connect yeah. and break bread or or uh, maybe uh, maybe splash beer on a golf or on the golf Let's course. Go Phoenix Open. <laughs> Have some beers at the Phoenix Open. <laughs> I love it. It was great to meet you and I look forward to uh, following your journey. And thank you for educating agents is what we need. So Absolutely. Great. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by ZBuyer, and ZBuyer offers an unparalleled home buyer and seller lead generation service. It's made by realtors for realtors, which is kind of the cool thing. Since 2003, ZBuyer has been continually perfecting state of the art lead generation pathways. In fact, I've been using them since 2009. And ZBuyer brings motivated home buyers and sellers to you virtually. Visit zbuyer.com forward slash LCA to see how ZBuyer can help you close more deals in 2022. Agents Podcast.